Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Hi, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I am Ann Friedman. And I'm Aminatu So. And we're besties, although at the moment we're in the same room and not long distance. Um, we're having a blast. This week on Call Your Girlfriend, we'll be talking about wedding season. We will be talking to Cord Jefferson. Our dear friend. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful human. We are watching the World Cup, so therefore we have a defensive pit bull on, on deck. We'll be discussing new emoji standards, how to dress seriously via Hillary Clinton article. We will be making fun of innovation and... Obviously, there is menstruation news and very important pregnant Beyonce pregnancy rumors. Rumors. Rumors, rumors. Call your girlfriend. It's time you had the talk. Give your reasons. Say it's not her fault. But you. Personal check-in. What are you, what are we doing in upstate New York? And it is very hot in this room right now. We're in a beautiful house in the Hudson Valley. We're basically in upstate because it's wedding season. It's so wedding season. I'm going to two within the span of eight days. Yeah, I have three more this summer. I will only be going to two more. Sorry to one of you whose wedding I'm not going to. unnamed yeah shall not be named um yeah we we went to the wedding of our dearest friends mercedes and ryan shout out uh mercedes and ryan hope you're enjoying your honeymoon and had a blast i had a great time um drank a lot gave a toast had a good time do you know what i really appreciate when and and this is definitely mercy and ryan but i really appreciate when people don't pretend that their wedding is something special like, yes. obviously, everyone is different. We are all unique snowflakes. But, like, when you go to a wedding and everyone's like, oh, you know, it's just, like, it's so unique. Like, you know, we're drinking out of mason jars. And, like, it's, like, there's hand-lettered place cards and whatever other Etsy shit that's going on that, like, you know, this is, like, a very real, like, this is just a thing where we're all hanging out together, which I really appreciated. I know. I think, too, that I've really come around to wedding season. I think that I went through a phase in life where I was... um very dismissive of it. I don't know why. You go to people's parties and get to drink wine on their tab. Like, why Why wouldn't you be into this? But I really think that it's also a function of having adults friends, right? Like, I obviously went to um, a religious high school and so went to a lot of weddings very young. There was no drinking, there was no dancing, and there was no fun time. I so, went. I grew up in Iowa, so I also went to lots of weddings very young. <laughs> right? You're just like, dry wedding. Why? Those are always right. the weddings you need booze at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think that there is something also really special about watching like two humans that you love like get together and throw a really bomb party and realize that they have more friends than family there. <laughs> and it, it's just a delight. Adult weddings are definitely better. I mean, major downside, like crippling financial blow (laughs) if you go to all of them we sort of have a shared tactic of buying gifts jointly frequently which i think alleviates some of the cost i know this is the first time that we have not bought a joint wedding gift and i won't lie i was a little sad about it Um, the so friedmans give good gifts the so friedmans do give good gifts sorry mercy ryan you're gonna have to get individual gifts Here's something else about adult weddings. I really struggle to get drunk at weddings. Like, yeah. I just feel like I never get there. I can never get drunk at weddings. And I don't know what it is because I drink an ungodly amount of booze at weddings. It's true. It's like magical. I just drink and drink and drink and never get drunk. Partially because there's dancing. We definitely danced to this podcast theme song on the dance floor where it was like it was magically emptied of men and it was just all women for a brief moment. Yeah, you know, I think also it's just this like control freak part of me where I don't want to be that terrible wedding guest. Like I will never be that person that you, you know, will leave their shoes behind as they go home. Um, or like swings on the pole and collapses the whole tent. But yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It can't be that person. So I don't know what it is. Maybe some, you know, scientist friend of call your girlfriend can study this. Right. Phenomenon. Can weigh in. We might have to come back to that. Anyway, so this is, like, oddly, two out of three episodes where we are physically in the same place for our long-distance podcast. Um, but we're going to call someone who's far away, luckily. We have, like, we, we've planned for the long-distance element. Um, our friend Cord. Yeah, let's um, go into our weird space booth phone and call Cord, who is a delightful human um, and writer and friend to us. Yeah, he used to be a Gawker writer, and these days he is... Um, you know, an up and coming, shall we say, <laughs> screenwriter for television. Uh, he lives in LA. He's arrived. He's, he's up and came. He's, he's arrived. He up and came. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to call him now. All right. Hi, Cord. Thanks for being a guest on our podcast. Of course. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. How's your day going today? What are you up to? It's going really well. Watching a lot of soccer all day. That's all I plan on doing for the next few weeks. I figured I didn't really think about it when I initially quit Gawker that it was going to be right before the World Cup. And so it was kind of a pleasant surprise that now I can just sit around and watch soccer all day. That's you, very exciting. You make it sound like you are long-term unemployed. That is not true. That, that, is, that, is, that is definitely not true. But I don't. But now I do have. I do have a lot more time on my hands to watch soccer than I would have previously. But I'm certainly not unemployed. That's true. Um. So tell us about the leisurely life of a television screenwriter. I I had never in previous previous iterations of of my job had to take meetings as work. For a while, I was like, oh, I'm not doing any work. I'm just going to meetings all the time. But now I consider meetings real work. And so when I look at it from that perspective, I don't feel like such a Lazy bag of garbage. But <laughs> other, other, uh, other than that, I've, I've been, I've written now two pilots. I'm writing a treatment for a for a film right now. So You're a things are busy. Things are busy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 been going well. And besides that, I'm I'm keeping busy with uh, with other journalistic enterprises. Um, I just finished up a piece for ESPN magazine. I just finished up that piece for Medium. I'm doing some other. I've got some other uh, irons in the fire on those fronts. So it's going well. It's going really well. When you go into all these meetings, I just assume that in L.A. meetings, people just listen to you talk and then they go, 
oh my god, I want to find a way to work together. And really, <laughs> they're never going to work with you. <laughs> That's... The, the the one thing that I've learned is that is that if you're in the if you're in the room at all, then they do see some potential for something. Now whether that means that they are gonna buy something from you and give you a bunch of money, or whether that means they just like uh, the first three pages of your script that they read, you can't really tell. But the fact that you're in the room does mean that there is some promise there. I, I was talking to uh, one of my good friends, uh, Tracy who writes on a bunch of different shows, and she used to, uh, she was involved with uh, that show Awkward Black Girl for a while. She's great. And she was saying that before she ever got her first staff job, she went to, she said, 60 to 70 meetings before anything materialized. But now, since she's taken those meetings, she has really steady work uh, uh, working in staff writing rooms. I think she's sold two projects now, uh, sold two of her own personal pilots that are in development at, at different places. So, you're you're building towards something. At, at the end, it, it can feel kind of Sisyphean at first, but I I always kind of need to come back to the idea that I've only been doing this now for four months. I mean, Amina and I were discussing when we were in driving through Malibu like several months ago that you are the friend of ours who's most likely to own a Malibu beach house someday. <laughs> Bags of money. When like I we're putting you, all our money on you. <laughs> that's. I think that that's funny because, like, I'm, I, I feel like I would be the, I, I, like, I don't have a bunch of money. I <laughs> yes, Corey. Like, I realize that I don't, you don't have a bunch don't, of money. Someday, someday have, you will have bags of money. <laughs> I mean, that's very nice, but I, I would be shocked. I don't. I mean, what, what gives you that inclination? I don't think that we'll I. We'll check in in a year. We'll check in in a year and. <laughs> Tell me that you are now making considerably more money. Than- also, you never wear socks, which I feel like is a marker of Malibu wealth. And <laughs> yeah, rich man. <laughs> Always like- beautiful loafers, no socks. That's basically why I picked you for friendship. You know what that is? I, I, I was thinking about that the other day. I was watching um, Pretty in Pink, and I realized that like so much of my aesthetic is just due to James Spader and Pretty in Pink and just like that evil guy who... I hate everything about him, but I also love everything about the way that he looks. <laughs> is there like a personality disorder that is trying to become what you hate? <laughs> Possibly, potentially. It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not a mistake that the that the villain in that movie is also looks the coolest, right? Like, and and is and is is the most is easily the most attractive person in that movie. James Spader's way hotter than Blaine in that movie. That's true. In the movie of our lives, you are unmistakably the most attractive person. So that's fair. <laughs> I'm going to speak up for Blaine. I like Blaine. <laughs> you think, Who speaks up for Blaine? You ever? think that yeah, you think that Blaine is more attractive than Steph in that movie? Really? I mean, but like, obviously Spader he's a, has this kind he's of a nicer like, guy. Spader has like a bred lapdog vibe about him. Yeah, like it's, it's just too perfect. <laughs> I also he's like. I love I love that there was an era when it totally made sense to put a seventeen year old in in gray linen suits and like smoking <laughs> smoking in the halls of his high school like that wasn't so outlandish of an idea. Okay, we've gotten very far afield. We wanted to talk about your um, your your matter piece about uh, 
fatigue in writing about racism. Maybe oh. maybe you can explain that to people. <laughs> okay. I didn't I didn't know we were gonna cover that subject actually. Yeah. Well we're, we have okay. very serious podcast course. Okay. Sometimes okay. we cover um, serious things. Yeah. High just, low. We're high low. High low. <laughs> yeah, that that piece just came to me after I mean I'd been thinking about it for a while. I'd been thinking about this idea of how difficult and taxing psychologically it can be to just be writing about writing about suffering all the time and to be explaining why people who look like you don't deserve to be treated like shit and to be uh can i swear am i allowed to swear yes okay all the time. okay aren't treated like shit and and killed and and beaten and and unjustly arrested and and writing about that is is just it it, it hurts your psyche a lot and i think that there was a time when when like a, a woman, I don't know if you guys have seen this video, but it was like a viral video a couple of weeks ago. After uh, I can't, I can't remember if it came out before or after I published that piece, but there was a woman in like Buffalo, New York, who was who was videotaped oh, yeah. in in that parking lot, calling that guy nigger over and over. Yep. And so I think that it's really interesting nowadays that like that has become something that people have to cover. Like I think it may have been easier back in the day to cover the racism beat. Because, like, every piece of racism wasn't something you had to touch on. Like, like it was interesting to f for me to think about the fact that had I been writing about this still, there might be a, it might have been something that came across my desk. Like, you should write about this just strange woman calling this guy a nigger in Buffalo, New York. Like, she's not a person of note. She's not famous for any reason. Like, she's only famous for saying this racist thing in a parking lot one day. And, like, how we've gotten to the point when it's like, all of these, like, the, normally you wouldn't necessarily be writing about these things, but now the racism beat, and, like, everybody's beat has grown to include, like, viral videos, and, like, uh, this, this, like, random, what this one woman said on her Facebook, and, like, all these kids who, like, call Obama a nigger the, the night after he was elected, like, on Twitter, and we're gonna, the and, like, a a racist beat. Yeah, exactly, and it's just, like, it's become this thing where... It happens all the time just because what is newsworthy now has changed so differently from what it was even 10 years ago, like what news is now. Well, and also at the time you were writing for Gawker, which yeah. defines news in some ways by virality. Exactly, exactly. But, that, I mean, it's even more than Gawker. I went looking for that video and it was like on the Huffington Post. It was on New York Magazine's website. It was on Gawker, obviously. Like it was, it was in places that weren't just necessarily known for their viral videos but but are now on that train where it's like okay this is this is newsworthy now i guess a woman in upstate new york who's a racist who said something racist in a parking lot once is like something that we should cover just because everybody's talking about it for some reason which is why you're so happy to now be taking meetings <laughs> yeah right i mean it's uh <laughs> i mean i would i would personally say that that woman isn't necessarily something that, that a lot of people should be paying attention to, but I also don't ever want to be the guy who used to write a lot for the internet who now, like, looks down my nose at internet culture because I don't I don't think that that's right. I, I, I think that the internet is good for a lot of things. Um, I, th I think that personally, yeah, I'm, am I glad that I wasn't asked to write about some lady calling somebody a slur somewhere? Yeah, I am glad that I didn't have to do that, but I also don't think that the internet's viral culture is ever something that I want to put down after being involved with it for so long. Cord, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. I was I, I was so honored that you asked me to be on and I'm so proud of you and I love you both so much. I'm really happy for, for, to be here.
delight. Always a delight. Like, that man is always in good spirits. Like, I think I've only seen Cord Sad, like, once, and we used to work together every day. I know. He's always in a really good mood, and, um... Man, I wish we had talked to him about wedding season. He just has the best wedding outfit game. Men who don't wear socks love weddings. <laughs> sure. You know what else has been really fun, though, about being in the same room together is um, watching the World Cup with you or me watching you watch the World Let me, Cup. I don't know how to tell you this. I'm not watching. I'm just sitting in the same room as the World Cup being like on the television and half watching. I know. But and even, you know, like a year ago, I didn't think that it was possible to have you like near a sporting event. So and the World Cup is obviously very important to me. So Every once in a while, I'm terrified that something dismissive will come from that side of the room. But so far, you've been a really good sport. I'm, I mean, a good sport. International Sportsmanship Award. I mean, I'm mostly just bored by it. Like, it's hard to get too worked up. <laughs> I mean, like, because the professional sports, like, you know, are just like, who did we purchase? This is like, where are people from? It seems to like run uh, a little yeah, deeper. Yeah, hello, nationalism and sports. It's the best thing that can happen to you. But also, I don't know. This is really interesting because you don't strike me as an indoors person. <laughs> you know, the like NSGU no sports growing up people I mean that you can never trust and you're always like eh, there's something a little loose there but I think you you are a little mystery to me that way but I think that it's it's hilarious I, my fantasy is that one day you will like get really into tennis I feel like individual sports are more for you here's my theory so that what did you say NSGU no sports growing up yeah I'm the opposite of an NSGU wherein it was like it was like my family were addicts or something like that I was like scarred by like how much <laughs> sports was forced down my throat and I think that like in the same way as I rejected like Catholicism and like living in a small town and lots of other things like and did not adopt them into my adult lifestyle sports are just like along with the ride. Yeah, that's funny. So in my family, we um, did not always get along, but the one thing that we could do very well was watch sports together. And I think that that's also part of the reason that I'm really into international sporting events, because it's the one time that I could have like normal conversations with my dad. Um, and my brother and I bond over it, and even my sister and I, so I don't know. Um, one thing I know that you enjoyed, though, about the World Cup was obviously Pitbull opening the ceremony. Oh you my know, god, those white pants. We're big Pitbull fans in this family. It's kind of ridiculous. It's controversial. Like, let's pause button for a second. Because I feel like you were the one who really got me to love Pitbull. In 2004, I worked in a building um, on at Hudson and Houston Street in New York, which is the Hot 97 building. <laughs> um, there was, like, a sign at the security that was, like, no posses. Um, which I worked, I worked at like a women's rights nonprofit. But anyway, my ex first exposure to Pitbull was showing up at work one day and there was like this chanting mob outside going, Pitbull, Pitbull. And I then Pitbull. I had to look it up to realize it wasn't like a purebred dog enthusiast, like group. Like there was just no, any, or an advocacy group. Anyway, but since I feel like you've really sold Pitbull to me. I mean, here's the thing with Pitbull. It is completely inoffensive sound right and it obviously has the edm uns uns like <laughs> underpinning to all of the top 40 Bass that drop. i like Bass yeah drop. you know there's something really special to me like watching pitbull invade american radio that i appreciated and how it started with rap music pitbull was the ceo of bad boy latino um, when P. Diddy realized that you need Latino people to also buy rap records because... Thank you, P. Diddy. Yes, thank you, Diddy. And so anyway, this like whole crossover thing starts happening and you have, you know, every once in a while a rap song will drop some like really foul Spanish verse in it and you're like, 
what does that mean? Give him the eggs. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm scared um, to look it up. I know. But yeah, so it's like that happens. And then Pitbull also like is, you know, like he's much older. He kind of has that dad vibe happening, but he's so in love with Miami. And that like explains more than half of his success, right? Like he's always shouting out weirdo tiny Miami neighborhoods that we don't know about. I'd like a good hometown boy. Gotta give credit. And also very good on Tumblr. Yeah. Also, he takes the hate with such strides. Mm. When the entire internet tried to send him to Alaska, was that what it was? Yeah. When Reddit sent him to Alaska in that stunt, he loved every minute of it and just like made it the best that it could be. And you know how I love an underdog. So full disclosure, we definitely watched the Timber video starring Pitbull and Kesha like eight times in a row in a single setting. Definitely. I was a little disappointed they never appeared in the same frame. Yeah, I mean, that video is kind of a mess, but all the Pitbull parts are great. So anyway, so there was, we are not the first to love Pitbull. There was this, there was a Deadspin article that says he's a crossover artist who still raps in Spanglish, who constantly shouts out Latinos, and who will wear an admittedly ill-fitting pair of white Capri pants to the World Cup opening, repping his club hermanos Miami-wide. So what I have to ask about that is, did he admit the pants did not fit well? Listen... I don't think Pitbull knows that the pants don't fit well, but it's part of his, like, weirdo dad aesthetic. I thought he was, like, 45. I think he's 33. Also, shout out to Jenna Lyons. The rolled up ankles visible thing has, I know. like, really, really, like, made it far. I know. Caprance. Caprance. In the wrong hands. Problematic. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. In the right hands, everything you need. Everything. Um, Other major news today. Um, So obviously yesterday we freaked out when we heard about the new emoji standards dropping. Well, first we were really excited. And then two... Wait, what are the new emoji standards? um, So in your iPhone, you have the ability to not use words and use these delightful picture frames called emojis. Shout out Japanese teens who Mm -hmm. made them popular. And so emoji is made and governed by these terrible people at the (laughs) the Unicode that do Unicode. And so you have to wait a really long time before anything gets done. Um, Because they have to collectively agree on the new emoji? Because they have to agree on it. It's like, you know, international bodies like can't do anything. So it's like a bunch of international programmers? Basically, yes. Um, They can't do anything right. And so Miley Cyrus 
for a long time has been the diversity warrior for emoji. Surprise, who knew Miley would be the person that we needed? Because there's like no brown people in emoji. So we hear that there's all these new emoji coming. Upon investigation, it just so happens that there are still no brown people. Now you can do like a Vulcan sign, but you like Vulcan salute, but you still don't have like beautiful brown people emoji. What's up with that? This is why I ask these questions about who is on the Unicode board, because I would I would wager a guess that maybe it's not super diverse. I mean, probably not, but it's also... So here's the deal with emoji, right? There are also all these, like, weird Japanese things that, like, you know, I'm like, I don't need half of these. Oh, man, I was telling Amina earlier today, the, the uh, whatchamacallit, the one that looks like an Easter Island head is actually, like, a sculpture that's outside of a train station in Tokyo. It's, like, not... Does not mean Easter Island head. I know. Um... Deep history. My favorite is all the um, the Chinese character ones, though, <laughs> are great. Um, wait, what is the one that we love? The one that's like, uh, do your homework or peaceful homework. Right. Or- <laughs> peaceful homework. Well, we just, so, so, you know, you can make Siri read emoji to you, which, of course, we used as an opportunity to translate all of the ones we didn't know because neither of us speak Chinese. Yeah, well, so let's keep our fingers crossed that the next time somebody decides to release 250 new emoji, we'll have emojis that we're really into. There's also, like, no taco on that list. I know. There's no avocado. There's no... It's very upsetting. If you want... There's no bed. There's no emoji couch. How are you supposed to tell people you're staying in without an emoji couch? You do the sad face emoji. (laughs) Um, If you want really bomb emoji, though, you should check out this app, this texting app called GroupMe that has hilarious emoji. Hey, weren't you telling me earlier today about (laughs) some Hillary Clinton thing? So it's sort of like, oh, I'm scared to start talking about Hillary already. Because even though I know we talk about Hillary Clinton all the time. Yeah, because she's amazing. Well, right. But I just, I feel like, I mean, part of this is my, you know, my profession. Like, I'm going to write one million articles about Hillary between now and the end of 2006. Or sorry, 2016. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm already like going backward in time to other things that I've written. But there was an article in the Time Style section this weekend that was sort of making the case for... Um, yeah, we should talk about Hillary's clothes or like women politicians clothes or like serious politicians, serious ladies outfits. Um, and it mentioned this website, Lady Pockets, which I saw a couple of weeks ago and was very amused by that does a sort of like in style or like maybe even like a glamour Cosmo style treatment of professional politicians, business ladies outfits. Um, being like, you know, like turquoise boxy suits in for spring. And I couldn't really tell. <laughs> I couldn't really tell if it was like, if it was check out these awesome women. We wish women's magazines would feature more of them. Or if it was a send up of the way that political writers feel the need to like exhaustively catalog what women are wearing in, in those contexts where they don't even blink about what men wear because there's an accepted uniform for men and there isn't for women. Anyway, and so this this Times article makes what I what I think is like a semi-compelling argument that sort of says that, um, you know, these women are role models for, for women who have great professional aspirations and um, there's no reason why their style lessons or things that they've learned that like work for them in terms of socially conveying professionalism but also having a little bit of personality and, and navigating what is like, I don't know, how to get dressed is a pretty difficult question for a lot of people, not just women. There's no reason why we shouldn't examine that. Which... I sort of come down on the fact that, like, yes, that's true, 
but like that's something that you know we should also talk about in the context of men and maybe like segregate it to an article about like you know I want one article about how Hillary picks her pantsuits I don't want it to be a footnote in every single article that is supposed to be about like her policy agenda I guess so but I guess the thing that's baffling to me about this is that at least the DC lady politician has a uniform tell me what is it it's an so Hillary Clinton wears the pantsuit, but most of the other ladies are basically in, um, you know, Ann Taylor fashions, which is not a derogatory. Like, I don't mean that to be derogatory, but I think that they've all learned to dress kind of in this boring, um, take the focus off of what you are wearing way, because this is how we do business in this town. Who's, I think there's like two women on Capitol Hill that everybody's... Per- Rosa Delora. Yeah, Ro- Rosa Delora. Everybody's always perplexed by Ms. her. Frizzle. And then, um, and then, yeah, Miss Frizzle. And then when, uh, what's her name? The lady who, Kristen, Kirsten Cinema. when mm-hmm. you read the profile about her, everybody was like, ah, Southwest fashions. Right. Like, she just wears a lot of turquoise and magenta. <laughs> basically, right? I don't know. I think I... I am generally not interested in what any politician has to wear unless it is something of note. Like, Barack Obama wears very boring American-made suits that are also made out of that Kevlar material so that nobody shoots him. Um, and I don't understand the Wait, facet- sorry. Barack Obama's suits are made out of Kevlar Yeah, material? there's this, like, weird suit material that you can make now. Um, I think it's, like, made in Israel because, duh. Also, <laughs> LOL. And... <laughs> Right, but he like he like the way that he dresses is really boring. And also Hillary Clinton has been at this for so long. If you are really writing about what she's wearing, like you are the boring one. No but like do we still really care that the lady wears pantsuits and occasional scrunchie here and there? There's just nothing there, right? Like I'm more interested in, you know, um, is there a process to how she picks her clothes? One politician, recent politician that I was fascinated by their the way that they dress was Sarah Palin. Mm. Because the outfits. Because of the shopping spree? Yeah, because of the shopping spree. But before I knew of the shopping spree, her outfits were on point at the RNC. I was like, you cannot be our next anything, but you look amazing. And that's, you know, that's something that was like of note. But in general, it just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm bored by politician. I'm not offended by lady politician fashion articles. I am bored by them. Yeah, I mean, I guess though that there's still... I mean, in some ways, like, the same article, how to dress for whatever event tastefully is, like, a recycled trope of, like, fashion magazines. Yeah. But I, I remember um, hearing from this woman who runs a media training program for women, and um, and they, it had been going for several years, and then, um, and finally they noticed that in all of the questionnaires about, like, what do you wish we told you more of, it was, like, actually help me shop, like, help me get dressed, was, like, a thing that came up again and again and again. And it was really interesting because they had been, like, you know, this is all about getting women to, like, sound really great and give good talking points. Mm -hmm. And, like, we all know you show up and get hair and makeup done. Um, But everyone just kept asking for it. And I think that there's, like, this line to walk between not giving a fuck because for women there is no dif- there is no like Kevlar suit like Obama. I mean, yeah, you can maybe sort of broadly say in DC it's Ann Taylor um and if you step outside of that you'll get noticed. But I feel like I if I were in sort of like a public position like that wouldn't want to like only wear like a uniform. And so I'm still curious about Really? Do you think that that I wouldn't want to wear a uniform? Yeah. I, I mean, w- you kind of are you saying I kind of wear a uniform? I mean, we are both very confident dressers, but I think that a lot of what we wear is 
very uniform. I mean, yeah, that's true. So when I was an editor, I had a uniform that was like a young boss lady uniform that was like like a relatively high-waisted denim, you know, no crack. Some <laughs> kind of silky blouse, usually thrifted, could be a bold print, maybe not, buttoned up to like, you know, all the way up to the top or mm-hmm. like, you know, not not really a cleave showing level. Um, and ankle boots. Se- accessories optional. Yeah. That's sort of like what I wore babe. every single com day. editor. Totally babe.com editor. If someone was like, we're doing an article about like power lady dressing outside the context of like where you have to wear a suit. Like what do you wear when you were like a youngish woman boss in an office without a dress code? I think that's like particularly like a tech and media industry question. So how do you convey authority when people still have old fashioned ideas about like what women should be wearing. Denim on denim. I mean. That's how you do that. My uniform. Texas tuxedo looks good on everyone. Texas tuxedo looks good, you know, and then you just accessorize it here and there. Um, maybe, man, now I feel like the whole time we were in DC, we were wasting our time and we should have just been stylists to powerful I people. mean, I, I do think that there's also this art to being like almost perfectly in line with what everyone expects with one little tweak. There are a couple of companies that have started just doing just that. Like, hey, I'm a tech woman on the speaking circuit. How do I mm-hmm. how do I have a dress where, you know, the you can hook a microphone up really easily or have a uniform and, and stuff like that. So I don't know, hopefully somebody's working on this problem. That's not me because Designers. Because clearly I would fail at it. Right. Well, so listen, I overnight read the uh, Jill Lepore's innovation article in this week's New Yorker, and it's, it is pretty good and also kind of hilarious for many reasons. So I didn't read it. Give me the top, give me the top level talking point. So I'm going to give you the the top level talking point. Her top level talking point, which I wrote down right here and I'm going to read it out loud to you. You guys, she hand wrote this. This is handwritten. I know, but now I can't read any of my handwriting, so... (laughs) Somebody needs to disrupt handwriting. Um, (laughs) Oh my God. So she basically calls bullshit on this theory of disruptive innovation that is coined by uh, annoying Harvard Business School professor. Harvard Business School just has bred some of our favorite people, but also I'm afraid generally of the kind of people who come from there because they're marketing geniuses, which this piece gets into, by um, Clay Christensen. And it's all about the process basically by which the product or commodity completely takes over. So he um, he wrote this book and I think it was like 97 and it's basically become the Bible in Silicon Valley and in a lot of places. There are a lot of Bibles in Silicon Valley, P.S. I know, but the, <laughs> the point that she makes in this article, I think that was so powerful to me is how like tech and Silicon Valley specifically is one of the few places where there are no critical thinkers and there are no critics. Like everybody has bought in to disruptive innovation. Yes, computers came and disrupted like whatever else we were doing before. And now we have cell phones and community college is disrupting real college, which is a terrifying thing to think about. But even more terrifying than that is realizing that this is now shifting into the service industry mm-hmm. and we're disrupting all of these, you know, kind of imp- I don't want people to disrupt my healthcare the way that they're disrupting cabs or, you know, disrupt legal services. And so she basically goes through the book and and uses and lists all of the case studies that he has and debunks like pretty much all of them. Um, she's obviously like also very nimby about this. So you can tell that she's like she's just not a fan. Um, it is hilarious to me that they're both Harvard professors. So I think it will be. Um, I would drama, like, drama I would, on the quad. I would like to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. 
it scares me a lot that this is the time that I, at least I am living in and in my industry that there are people who just buy all of this stuff wholesale, right? And that I sit in all these product meetings where people will say things like, if you're doing it right, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh my God. And, and we're, we're basically buying into that. And so, and the thing that she says is that innovation is basically like solid marketing, which if you, you know, like if you get it, like, you know that that's true, but the at-large public doesn't know that. Well, innovation is 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 sort of one of the an easy way for for magazines to underwrite whole issues now. Like basically, like the reason why hey, even the New Yorker has like an innovation issue is mm-hmm. because that's something that like any corporation is excited to underwrite. Like they want to be associated with the idea of innovation. Um, but what I was going to say about this word disrupt, I don't know if she goes into this, but something that's like long. I've always wanted to hear sort of a. Um, like a linguist write about this because to me it's like a disruption doesn't mean you fix anything and doesn't mean you have any sort of like sustainable I'm new so solution. I'm so happy you go into this Anne because she talks about it from like a very historical perspective right? oh, good. specifically about innovation and how it is very recent that innovation is a, has a positive connotation. Mm. So it's basically all of these 18th century ideas repackaged and marketed really well and sold just wholly to business school kids who are ruining it for all of us. Man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like we make jokes about disrupting things all the time. Like, I know. know. All of that said, here are the things that I would like to see disrupted. Tell me. <laughs> um, Emoji, we just discussed. Emoji. Weddings. Uh, <laughs> not weddings. <laughs> um, framing. If somebody listening has a solution to cheaper framing, please talk to me. Please write us because I don't understand how it's so expensive. Mm. I feel like I could probably think of other things. I don't know. I just like that problem of like, it's like, I don't want anything disrupted. I just want you to like do it better. Like that's not what disrupt means. Disrupt means just like do it differently and like make the old model less relevant, but it doesn't mean make a new model that is sustainable or is like, it's like broadly relevant. I know. All I can see right now is the season finale of Silicon Valley. Which oh my God. Which I still haven't it? watched. I've only okay. seen the first five so episodes. We won't, so we won't talk about it. Um, Combination, combination, hike, swimming. swimming in a hole. Yep. <laughs> Some of us have work to do. <laughs> um, you know, I got a seven siren drudge level alert, you know, rumor that Beyonce might be pregnant. And I don't know how I feel about it. So here was my first thought. Statistics say that the second child is when your work output like really like like falls off. Like women kind of hang in there after child one, but child two is when like they're like you know take a lower track position, don't get promotions, like their salary really falls off a cliff. And like obviously Beyonce is not a woman; she is superhuman. Like I know it's not like maybe the same the same thing, but I was immediately like scared about what this means for post on the run. This is true. I don't I don't know how this is going to shake out for us because clearly this is about us. And 
Yeah, you know, but on another hand, I'm like, maybe she's smart. You know, have two kids, like, really close together, and then you can do what you need to do. Blue can have a sister mm-hmm. or a brother. Hopefully it's a sister. Jay-Z needs more positive women, influence, <laughs> more positive women influence in his life. Um, we will not be discussing the elevator situation because I am just personally hurt by Big everything Gazi that happened. Benghazi has a cute baby name, though. Benghazi. <laughs> Um, right. Anyway. Um, do you have any menstruation news for me this I'm week? I'm so happy you asked because in anticipation of this podcast, I obviously Google news searched for menstruation and menstrual and period, which is a little less useful. Um, but what's going there's on? There's new research. Uh, some professors at the University of Southern California analyzed 58 different research experiments about what women are interested in uh, when they're menstruating or when they're ovulating. Like, and so it was this, it was this sort of long-held like Daily Mail-style headline that, <laughs> that women, when they're, like, when they're ovulating, like, want to sleep with like, more masculine men, like more manly men. Um, and basically it's like, no. Here's an, a direct quote. Fertile women desire sex with men who seem particularly masculine or genetically fit. Like, how... How do you even conduct research that's like, does this man seem genetically fit? That is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But anyway, the point is, um, the women who like masculine men like them all month long, not just when they're ovulating. It's like, oh, you mean beefosexuals? Like people who like beefcakes? Listen. All the time. We are out there. We're out here. and I'm ready for you to have a pride movement. Beefosexual pride. There's no shame in liking beefcakes. Um, <laughs> listen, it's a very much look, don't touch kind of relationship. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like, you're obje- it's, obje- it's an objectification. Yeah, I don't want to end up with a beefosexual. Are you kidding well, me? Well, you are a beefosexual. You don't want to end up with a beefcake. Oh, yeah. Real talk. I don't want to end up Although with you are kind of a beefcake in your own way like i feel like the beefosexual mutual relationship could be that is okay anyway uh, that was more like a debunked menstruation research yeah news. i don't know i feel that so much like period misinformation can be attributed to just everyone it is women's fault and it is men's fault that all of this just garbage news is out there i mean and like i said show me the details how are you testing for genetically fit like they interview women and say does this man seem genetically they fit? go to they go to iceland specifically like oh he has no open sores and seems to have like <laughs> you know his ears are in the right place so he seems genetically fit to me like i don't even know yeah that's crazy a couple of weeks ago Everybody was debating whether women should get, like, extra days off if they have their period. It was, like, a sexist frame. Uh-huh. It was like, uh, you know, like, these ladies... But that's a good question. I think we should. Extra I know. sick days. I would totally take... Yeah. Three to ten extra days off. Totally. Heavy flow. Heavy, heavy flow days. <laughs> heavy like, flow days. Yeah. To just chill at home and, you know... Put my computer on my on my uterus. That's how Let it I. Hum. I Let know. It hum. That's how I deal with it. The computer gets so hot. Computerist. <laughs> computerist. <laughs> my computer gets so hot, and I don't have time to like reheat those beads or whatever it yeah. is that some of you. I have a I have do. a bag of beans that I microwave and put on my uterus. Yeah, sometimes different strokes, you know. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you don't have time for that. Sometimes all you got is a MacBook Pro, um, you know, and just like chill at home. My thing that I like to do when I am cramping up, especially bad, is to just sit in the tub or even in the shower and turn the water up really hot and have a glass of wine Mm. it probably does not help scientifically but there's something very comforting about it psychological comfort yeah i'm into it yeah 
I think we're out of time. Also, it's really hot in this room, and we it's nice outside, and we should go. Let's go. Let's go outside. Hey, um, bye, Anne. Um, wait, before we say goodbye, we have to say that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Yes. Or follow us on Twitter at callyourgf, Y-R-G-F. Mm-hmm. Or um, you can find us at callyourgirlfriend.com. Feel free to drop us a review on iTunes. And we read them. We we try to be very responsive to our to our especially our negative reviews, which I'm admitting right now. I know negative reviewer. I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> Singular. We're, <laughs> we're trying. We're trying our best. Hey, also, Anne. I think this is the last time that we are going to be together on this coast. Oh my gosh, we'll be together on this coast again, but like it's you gonna know. be a while. It's gonna be a while. Yeah, it's true. Um, by the next time we talk, wait, you'll still be in New York, but I'll next be time we talk. Yeah, I'll be packing up. It's literally like my last week in New York and you'll be in London. I'll be in London. Okay. I guess see you on the internet. See you on the internet. Bye, boo.